The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Well, hey, good morning. Today we're going to be talking about overcoming process-serving errors. So what do you do when you find that you've made a mistake? Boy, sometimes it can be a disaster and an unrecoverable, or maybe it can. So when it comes to process serving, serving legal papers, and you make a mistake, it could make the difference between losing a good client and or becoming their hero. So today my guest is Kevin Toll. He's joining us from Halifax, Nova Scotia. He's going to provide us tips on how to determine if you have the correct person, ask the correct address. Hopefully, that's the combination that matters. Good day, Kevin. Hello, Francie. Thanks for joining the show. Uh, so, Kevin, uh, you're a licensed private investigator, too, is correct? That's correct. Uh, both in Halifax and, and New Brunswick? That's right. How do your PI licensing laws work there? In respect it, to where we can... Operate? Yeah. Do you, um, how, do you, how do you qualify to be a, a private investigator and, and how do you get licensed? How does that work? There's quite a few uh, hoops to go through. Um, myself, if I wanted to set up just as an individual private investigator, um, you can't just go ahead and do that. I actually work for Mainview Investigative Services. Uh-huh. And so... In order to become a private investigator, first you need a corporation or a business set up, and then they license out the uh, private investigation. For example, I couldn't just go up and say, I would like a license. Um, I would need to provide, first of all, it's um, a million dollars worth of insurance. Uh Um, And the insurance companies up here, it's very difficult finding one that will actually uh, give insurance to a private investigator. Really? Yeah. <laughs> um, wow. It's almost like a catch-22 in a way. They don't want to give you a, um, the insurance until you've got the license, and the license, they don't want to give you the license until you've got the insurance. Oh. <laughs> so your best bet is to find someone who's already licensed and work for them. I see. So do you have to... Uh, work for a period of time before you can qualify to get a license? Uh, No. Okay, Um, because in California we have to work uh, 6,000 hours um, either in a law enforcement capacity 
conducting investigations or for a private investigation agency? What we have to do is we have to work for a private investigation agency um, and they license you and then you work for them. There's no specific set time at, that you have to work at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I do believe they are looking at reconfiguring the different uh, policies and procedures that are out there. I see. Um, it's an ongoing process. Um, and unfortunately, we also have an issue with some people who aren't licensed but go out on things like Craigslist or what we have up mm-hmm. here, Kijiji, and claim to be um, consultants or uh, private detectives, mm-hmm. uh, things like that. And at this stage, uh, even when it's brought to their attention, the government uh, agencies don't really follow up on that and shut them down. And why is that? Um, I, I think a lot of it has to do with... Uh, either manpower, they don't have enough people to uh, look after it, or they don't think it's a big enough issue. Um, But it does create some problems because you can get somebody claiming to be an investigator who takes someone's money and gives them absolutely nothing. Right. Uh, We've had some cases where somebody has paid out a lot of money to somebody to locate somebody the so-called investigator comes back to them and says, you know, sorry, can't find anything. And within five minutes, we're able to, it's out there. It's on uh, the yellow pages or Uh white pages. And we can find, well, here's their address. We can do a property search and find out who owns a specific property. Yeah. Um, So we know that somebody just took their money and didn't do any work whatsoever. So it's really buyer beware. Yeah. Well, you know, that that same thing happens, you know, I think everywhere where um, people who aren't licensed advertise themselves as private investigators. And and people really need to be uh, cognizant of making sure that they're getting uh, a legitimate person, a licensed individual, and get get references. Well, and one of the things I find doing the... uh process serving it's um i'm licensed as what we call a provincial civil constable what does that Uh, mean what is that basically it's um a more official title to say i can serve court documents Hmm. okay at the same time though anybody could serve court documents without having any uh special license whatsoever um and that can cause problems too because a lot of the ones I end up with, somebody else has already gone out and muddied the waters. Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of the uh, small claim stuff I do, it's people who are driving without licenses, they have no insurance, um, they're typically getting into trouble with police, so they're going to go to great lengths to avoid being served. Sure. And so... If somebody's already gone out there and said, I have court documents <laughs> for you, um, the first thing they're going to say is, oh, I'm sorry, he's moved. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, or I'm his brother, you know, or his other brother, Daryl, or something, right? Exactly. And so those ones end up um, coming my way because um, the insurance companies, I guess, after they try the easy approach, they say, okay, we need a bit more of an in-depth um, search for these people. 
And a lot of times I find them at the address that they supposedly moved away from. Yeah. Um, and thanks to Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and all the other social media out there, I go out armed with their photos. Right. So when they say, oh, I'm the brother, it's like, well, actually, <laughs> here's your Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> this is you. Uh, nice try. Here you go. Um, and so that's why I think it's important for clients to make sure that who they're dealing with actually does have a license. Yeah, absolutely. So what what do you have to do to get at this provincial civil constable certification? Uh, that one you have to get a police check. Um, you also have to have insurance, but not as much as um, licensing as a uh, investigator. Um, you need a bond. It's, um, I believe it's a thousand dollar security bond that's held for you. Um, don't quote me on that. <laughs> it's okay. been a, a while okay. since I got that, but you have to go through those, get your fingerprints done, make sure that there's no, uh, criminal background and, uh-huh. uh, then you're good to go. And does that mean, Kevin, that you can serve any kind of papers like uh, finan- anything with financial documents like levies and, and uh, garnishments and things like that? No. For that, I would actually need to be a sheriff. Oh, really? Yeah. So only the uh, official government sheriff's department can serve those kind the of documents? The garnishy of wages and that type of stuff. Interesting. Okay. Well, that, that's different than we have in California. In California, a licensed process server, or registered, I should say, a registered process server can serve any financial documents, but a private investigator cannot. A private investigator can serve everything but the financial documents. Okay. So it's, yeah. it's different. Yeah. Here, for example, I can do divorce papers. I can um, do foreclosures. I can do uh, witness to subpoenas, um, all that, except um, can't go out and garnish you wages. Okay. And do you, do you have, do you call it the same thing, summons and complaint, when there's a, uh, a lawsuit against another person? Um, to be honest, I don't know the exact, what we call it, what I know is that um, with us, it's small claims and Supreme Court is uh, the two levels that we deal with. Uh-huh. And so it's just plaintiffs and defendants. Yeah. Okay. All right. Interesting. So um, and what is your specialty? Um, I would have to say my specialty is in uh, tracking people down. <laughs> okay. Um, what I like to do is... Um, get as much information about an individual as possible, even if the client thinks that it's fairly trivial, because a lot of times it's that trivial piece of information that allows you to actually locate somebody. Right. Um, And one of the uh, things I have found, it's, um, again, social media. If, If you know, for example, that somebody is into gaming or trucks and you come across two individuals with the same name, but somebody's plastered their Facebook with trucks, mm-hmm. it's more than likely that's the person you're going to be going after. Right. Yeah. And so that's sort of what my specialty is, and taking the ones that are fairly good at hiding and trying to find them. Now, 
you came out of a, a background of uh, working for a fraud department. Right. So that, that I'm sure that gave you great experience in tracking people down. Well, and that was actually funny because it used to be part of the collections department of Rogers Cable, which uh-huh. was the uh, cab- one of the large cable TV companies. And I had noticed that a lot of the same people kept coming back up um, time and time again. And I started actually creating what a, at the time I called a hit list. And it was particular people, uh, their names, their phone numbers, their addresses. And I would go back and check them out. And what I saw happening was you'd have an address where, say, John Smith would set up an account, owe money and equipment. And then a few days later, somebody completely different would set up an account there, but they had the same phone number. Oh, interesting. And so I was able to um, then take a look at what ID was provided. And in a lot of cases, it was either identical or it was similar, but with just a few digits changed. Mm-hmm. And so I started compiling um, quite a large list of accounts that were like that. And at the time, I was a manager of the collections department. And I went to the director and said, we need a fraud department because... Just based on my own notes here, we're losing thousands a month, if not more. Uh And so they allowed me to do a pilot project. And we set up a fraud department and started looking at it more intensely. And by the end of a year, we were actually preventing, um, we worked it out to be about $2 million worth of fraud was being prevented. And we were recovering about half that in equipment and money out. That's amazing. So it, it was uh, quite a big deal, actually. Yeah, it sounds like. Are they still are they still in business? Oh yes, and in fact, it went from it was just myself and another individual that was because I said I need to run this. I don't want to be the manager anymore. I want to do the fraud stuff. And <laughs> you want so to do the fun stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So. Um, <laughs> We, we then got to do training packages for the staff saying, here's what you have to look out for. Here's some warnings. And some of the obvious stuff, um, how they got away with it, I don't know. But it was because it was based on sales um, that the representatives would take almost any ID, like um, library cards, bus passes, um, <laughs> all sorts of horrible stuff. Um my favorite customer that they signed up was Mr. Wooly Bunny Slippers. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> Unfortunately, no. And, and then we had uh, Kaiza Sose uh, got an account with us, um, the killer from Usual Suspects. <laughs> so it, it used to be a big joke going through seeing, you know, and they knew how bad the system used to be that you could sign up with any name you wanted. And so we put an end to that pretty quick. That's that's great. And so do they have an, an ongoing fraud department now? They do. And in, in fact, um, the person that I started with, because um, I, I was fortunate in that I got to handpick who was going to work on the pilot project with me. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's still there. And this is now, well, probably about 15 years later. And he's still there, and there's four other uh, fraud analysts now working with him. 
That's terrific. Oh, you must feel pretty good about that. Yeah, yeah, and I'm still in touch with actually pretty much all of them. So, uh, you know, it's nice to know that um, something you put together is still being successful and doing what you thought it could do. (laughs) Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. And so then how did you transition from there to working for the company you're at now? Well, um, at the time, my wife and I were looking at um, starting up a family and trying to find somewhere affordable to live. And in Toronto, we knew that we couldn't afford to buy a house there. Mm-hmm. And we had been out east and been to Nova Scotia, and we fell in love with the area. And the housing was a lot cheaper. So we moved out here. And uh, my wife's background is in um, counseling. So she was able to get a job fairly quickly. And I stayed at home and looked after the kids for a while and did some writing for one of the local uh, weekly newspapers. Mm -hmm. And so I got to know a lot of the businesses and individuals in the area but I still had, you know, the old hankering for investigations. Right. It does uh, get in your blood, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, it, it's the challenge. It's finding a puzzle and getting the yeah. answer to it. And so when the kids were old enough and uh, we didn't have to keep chauffeuring them around as much as we do now, um, I started looking around for something that would be of interest to me. And I didn't want to get... Uh, back into a call center type of environment or anything like that. So I cold called um, private investigation companies and Mainview spoke to me and we met and got along very well. And how long have you been there now? I've been with them now just over three years. Yeah, well, and so... um are you doing, besides the process serving, are you also doing investigations for them? Uh, yes. Um, okay. And a lot of that also involves um, locating people yeah. um, and finding out, um, for example, if you've got somebody who's on an insurance claim who says that they can't do anything, again, Facebook is perfect <laughs> yeah. because they'll post pictures of themselves at the work site. Right. And yet they're not supposed to be at work, and yet here, here I am by my big truck. You know. Yeah, yeah. We call those workers' compensation uh, fraud claims. Do you do you call it workers' compensation? Um, we call it uh, pretty much the same. Yeah. Yeah. Compensation, okay. uh, or with the uh, insurance, it's a disability claim. Okay. All right. Interesting. And and what other kinds of um, investigations do you do you guys do besides that um pretty much anything that's on the go if um you know we we get the odd spouse who's wondering if um the other one is cheating on them um and and again you gotta love social media uh (laughs) there there are so many chat sites out there that if you are able to locate um the person's uh, profile. Sometimes uh, you can even see what they're typing to the person they're having the affair with, and then it's just a matter of doing screen grabs, and there you go. Yeah, 
for sure. We need to take a quick break, Kevin. Um, okay. We'll be right back. Don't go away. We'll be right back. We're going to be talking about process serving. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PIs Declassified. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Today, private investigator and... um what we would call in the United States a process server. Kevin Toll is here to discuss avoiding mistakes in process serving. Um, Kevin, you were you were telling me about um, a notice, a claim you had where the client gave you the wrong name of the business they were suing. Tell us about that. Um, okay. I've had that a few times, actually. That was um, a, You said that and, just and happened recently. Yeah. In, in this case... Um, Usually, a lot of the stuff I deal with comes from companies. This one came from an actual individual, and uh, they were suing a company, but the uh, company, they put down just part of the company's name, Mm -hmm. and in order to be successful in registering your claim, for example, if you had um, the Royal Bank of Canada, but you just said Bank of Canada that wouldn't be good enough. And in this case, it was um, a company, and they did not put uh, limited at the end of it. Oh, okay. And so it may be a minor problem, but when the, if they go to register it and it's not corrected, then the registration doesn't count. Okay. So you could serve it, but that, but it doesn't mean anything once it's... Oh, and you could go through the whole court process. You could get the adjudicator to uh, award the claim. 
and everything would go from start to finish. They go in and they register it under the wrong name, but it has no impact on the actual business. That's a pretty serious mistake. Yeah. <laughs> so um, what I like to do if I see somebody, especially an individual, not so much if it's um, coming from a lawyer or somebody who should know what they're doing, but if it's mm-hmm. an individual, you want to go into what we have here. It's called the Registry of Joint Stocks, mm-hmm. and you want to confirm that they've got the proper uh, spelling of the name, uh, that everything is exactly as the company itself is registered. I see. Because otherwise, again, you may win your case, but it doesn't mean anything if you then register it against some non-existent entity. That's, a, that's really good advice. Now, you were saying that um, you get papers from lawyers that are incorrect, though, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> because a, a lot of times I, I think it's uh, the lawyers pass on the work to other people, or if it's themselves that are doing it, a lot of it's cutting and pasting. Right. So they'll, instead of going through typing up the same old type of um, case, they'll just say, oh, I've got another one of these. I'll just take this section from that old one and paste it over here, and I'll just make a few minor modifications. But they forget to take certain things out. They'll leave the wrong name in, or the case number itself is incorrect. And wow. so that's a major problem. And in fact, um, <laughs> just the last month, um, I had one lawyer give me uh, a notice to serve, but the date on it was 2012. So okay. they had gone back through their old records and found one that they had attempted to serve a few years ago. For whatever reason, it never got served and it got mixed up with their current one, and they gave me the old one. Oh, my goodness. Did you catch it? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, are you sure about that? Yeah. Um, so, you know, you, you do have to sometimes uh, have a second look at these things. Um, and unfortunately, though, a lot of times, though, you get these as a rush job. And right. it has to be served immediately. Yeah. Uh, and that's why there's some mistakes, because they're doing it in a rush. Right. Because normally my regular procedure is if I get something, I like to sit down for at least half an hour to an hour on the computer and go through the names of the people I'm trying to serve, uh, mainly for my own safety. Because a lot of times, if they're in trouble with uh, driving without insurance or some other problems, chances are they have some other issues with the law. Uh-huh. And I'll come across uh, in a few cases where they've been arrested, there's been weapons, um, any number of issues, assault. And so that then factors into, okay, how am I going to go about serving this to protect myself? Uh-huh. Um, yeah. You know, and that that's something that uh, people who don't, do this work don't even think about that it, it it can be a dangerous situation in some instances have have you ever run into a time <laughs> when uh, you were assaulted or anything like that uh well i've had the odd uh notices shoved back down my shirt um i have had people try and physically threaten me but so far nobody has actually um 
punch me. I did have one gentleman actually who um, has been avoiding service for a while, and I showed up at his house early in the morning and uh, knocked on the door. There was no answer, and somehow he snuck into his garage. Uh, the garage door opened. The car came out, so I walked down the driveway towards him, holding up the papers, and he was not stopping. Um, he looked at me, and uh, there was no expression on his face whatsoever, and he was quite content that if I didn't move, I was going to be underneath the car. So, uh, you know, that would probably be the most uh, dangerous one I've ever right. come across. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, an- another one you talked about, um, I remember specifically, as you uh, went to serve papers and you thought you had the right address with the right person, and evidently a person by that name lived there, but it wasn't the right, it wasn't the correct person. Yeah, um, what I've been noticing actually is um, you get a lot of fathers who name their sons the same name as themselves. But they also give them the same middle name, too. And it became confusing on one in particular because, um, first of all, my client had never met the owner of the company before. Uh Um, So he had no idea what he looked like. And so he only had the guy's name and the name of the company. And so I did a property search, and the owner of the company, it came up uh, that there was two properties under his name. One had a civic address and one just said um, that it was a lot. Uh, So it indicated that it was just a vacant piece of property somewhere. Um, And then I did a search on the, through the phone, found one listing for that name and it was the address that the property search had come up with. And I did a Facebook search, couldn't find him, but I found his wife. And the pictures she had on her Facebook account were the same address. So everything seemed geared that this was the right one. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I went out there and I served him, he denied it. And normally I'm used to people denying that they're who they are. But something about this particular individual, it, it just rang true. And so I got a very bad feeling that maybe, despite all the information pointing to this one gentleman, that something was wrong. So um, I went back and I checked the vacant lot, and sure enough, it was no longer a vacant lot. It now had a house on it, and that's where his dad lived. (laughs) And you did that, if I remember correctly, you did that with Street View, Google Street View. That's right. So you thought... Because you'd been by that, you knew it was a vacant lot. So you were just just assuming that it was a vacant lot? Well, I had done the property search and it said that it was um, a a vacant lot. So I assumed that uh, if anything had been done, it would have been updated and there would have been more information about that. Mm -hmm. Uh, So when I did the street view and saw, oh, there's actually a house here now. I drove out there and uh, was able to serve the guy in his house. Um, and that one uh, was quite interesting because his wife let me in. 
as though I was a best buddy of the guy. <laughs> and I went up, and he was sitting there uh, in front of the TV on his lazy boy chair reclining. And I was able just to put it on his belly and say, you know, you've been served. <laughs> and then got out of there as he started screaming at his wife. I'm so, sure uh, he was. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh. And and do you have to say you've been served? No, but in that case, um, I just wanted to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and had, um, he been, had he been avoiding service? Yes. And earlier, actually, uh, it wasn't in the article or anything, but earlier I had been to um, another location where I believe they were now setting up a new uh, business area. Mm-hmm and saw a gentleman who I believe was his son. And the son was wearing a jacket that had the company logo on it. In the back of the truck, he had all sorts of brochures and um, materials. And so I asked him if he worked for the company, and he said no. <laughs> and I said, yeah. well, hold on, why are you wearing their jacket? And why are you... <laughs> <laughs> What's with all the stuff in the truck then? And he had no answer for that. He's just like, well, you know, I, I like the jacket. I, I used to work for them. Yeah, that's it. Um, so it was him, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's too funny. <laughs> I, I just happened to like their jacket. Oh, that's yeah. crazy. <laughs> uh, it, it was just, you know, sometimes people lie to you, but when it's such a bad lie, you're you're just flabbergasted for a moment going, do you really expect me to believe what you just said? Well, it's hard to come up with something legitimate on a spur of the moment. <laughs> <True>. <laughs> so I, you have a personal favorite, though, about uh, a small claims court situation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and actually, uh, I, I believe um, a colleague of mine, Gary Green, may be listening, and he's well aware of this one. Oh, yeah? Um, because Hi, Gary. We'll say hello to Gary. Hello, Gary. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, this one, it should have been completed probably within a month, two months at the latest, but it almost dragged on for a year, and it had nothing to do with locating the person uh, or serving them. Um, it was another insurance claim, and with that one, it was, I'm in the Halifax area, but it actually needed to be served in Sydney, Nova Scotia, which is quite a distance away. So rather than drive up there, it was all done through the mail, couriering stuff back and forth. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I was able to put through the notice for a small claim and get that all taken care of. I found a process server up in Sydney who was able to uh, serve the documents, and that was all fine. Um, however, <laughs> um, here, I don't know if it's the same in the States, but if after 20 days there's no defense filed, we can go for what's called a quick claim judgment. Okay. Uh, in which case, the adjudicator just uh, receives all the information and they can make a judgment without actually anybody having to set foot in court. Okay, this is a small claims case. Yes. Okay. And so... Um, I put through the request for the uh, quick claim, and I was awarded the uh, judgment. However, 
Um, they removed the client's name from the file and put my name on it. So it looked like I won the award. Oh, my gosh. So I called them and said, <laughs> you know, there's been a mistake. I'll resubmit the papers to you and you can get that amended. So they did that, um, sent it back. But instead of being a small claim for 8000 they replaced the decimal with a zero. So it became $8 million. <laughs> A little bit more than a small claim. <laughs> yeah, so even if I tried putting in a little dot in somewhere, the best I could make it would be 80000 Oh, my goodness. So, so on the next try, um, they sent it back to me and advised me that the registration of the judgment took place in August of 2014, which was a pretty neat trick. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was like, so you went in ahead in the future, registered it, came back and sent it to me. I'm not going to be able to put that through the courts either. Who so, are making the changes? <laughs> well, and then eventually everything was corrected. And I then had to send something up to the uh, land registry up there so that if they ever tried to get property or sell property, it would show that they had this debt and they'd have to clear it up first. Mm-hmm. And that should have gone through without a problem. Uh, however, uh, my request was rejected, saying I needed to supply identifying details about the, de the uh, defendant to differentiate them from others with the same name. And they supplied me a list of um, things that would be acceptable, such as his address, his employment, his date of birth. Um, and when I looked at the form I had sent them, all three of those were in place. Were included. Oh, my so, goodness. Um, eventually, though, it all went through. But it, it took uh, close to eight months from beginning to end for it to finally get resolved. And the sad thing is um, I have a sneaking suspicion they're not going to see a penny of this anyways. Mm. Yeah. So that's too bad. And do you have to uh, renew the judgment every so often? Yes. Um, you, you can go for one year, two year, or longer, depending on what you want to pay up front. Yeah. Very complicated. Oh, it would be fun I, trying to re-register this one. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I just can't, can't imagine. Oh, I can't imagine having so many errors either. Well, and these are people, this is their job. This is... You know, and, and I would imagine if I was using my own forms, but I was using the forms that they have online. So it was put out in the format that they themselves should be comfortable with. Okay. Interesting. Okay. We need to take another break, Kevin. Okay. This is just so amazing. Uh, we'll be right back. Thanks. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. 
It's the largest association of its kind in the world. Cali's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact Cali at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's Choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to PI's Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. With me today on PIC Classified is Kevin Toll, who is coming to us from uh, Halifax, Nova Scotia. And he's been talking to us about the mistakes in process serving and recovering from those mistakes. So uh, it's, uh, I guess, the lesson, Kevin, really, in this whole exercise that we're doing this morning is you have to really check everything. Uh, Just don't assume that it's been done correctly because, you know, it's uh, (laughs) everything, you know, when when a mistake, is made, it often rolls downhill, right? It becomes the problem of the investigator or the process server. So it's really up to us to check it. Oh, uh, agreed, because uh, a lot of times you only get one kick at the can if uh, you go out and try and serve papers on somebody and they're incorrect and you have to go back and reserve them. They it's know you're gonna, coming. <laughs> yeah, and it's not going to happen. And, yeah. and, you know, it becomes such a game, too. Even if it, it, I find even with people that don't even really care about whether they're served or not. They don't want to be served. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and so well, they just avoid it at all possibilities. <laughs> a lot of times um, I have a hat which says um, a made-up name on it and a shirt that matches it, and I'll always have a box of some sort in the car with me. Um, and I'll go up to a door with this big box but with the papers behind it, because everybody loves receiving gifts. And so as soon as they see this box, they open up the door, they'll immediately admit to being the right person, and then I'll say, oh, no, sorry, this isn't for you, but this is. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Uh, I'm sure that's pretty effective. Well, it has been in uh, a a few cases. (laughs) Yeah. So um, you had a situation uh, about uh, a, a William Street? Yeah, um, we'll call it William Street just to protect... Uh, <laughs> just to protect the people, sure. Yeah. Um, basically, this was a, a rush job that I was given, uh, so I didn't have a great deal of time to check it over as much as I would have liked to. Um 
and it was a fairly rural area, and it's one of those long streets that arbitrarily changes its name at certain intersections, even mm -hmm. though it's still going straight. Right. And um, towards the end of the street, it goes from Main Street, we'll say, to Elm Street, and then to William Street at the very end. Okay. And when I had been given the papers, I was also given helpful information saying that uh, they've got vicious dogs and the person who answers the door is nasty. So <laughs> based on that, uh, I drove up and uh, the address, we'll say, was 1390 um, Elm Street. Okay. And I got up to 1389 Elm Street. I saw their numbers, looked across the street, and there was a house right at the corner of an intersection uh, that had no proper numbers on it. It had a mismatched uh, two and a three that were hung upside down, and there was a pen beside the house which had four large Rottweilers in it. So I figured, okay, well, this must be the one they talked about. I knocked, and there was no answer. So um, then I thought, okay, well, I'll just go down a few more doors just to make sure. And the very next door down, though, the numbering changed, and it was now number two. So I knew, looking at the maps and everything, that the street didn't have that much longer to go anyway, so the likelihood of it going from two back up to 1390 was fairly remote. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, I'm not sure exactly why, but I always like checking to make sure uh, that I'm in the right location. So we have a real estate site here that you can check, and it shows the property lines. So right. I punched in the address that I had, and nothing came up. And that was fairly odd. So then I did a Google search of the address and found... Uh, municipal documents from a few years ago which talked about changing the civic addresses and wow. the house that I knew as 1390 uh, Elm Street was now 1390 or sorry was now 12 William Street How so weird is that? <laughs> How weird is I that? just went down a few more doors and there was 12 William Street and to the side of the driveway they had uh, one of those wooden containers that you can put your garbage cans in. Yeah. And stenciled on the side of that was 1390. Okay. So they had changed the civic addresses around. They still kept the old wooden uh, container, hadn't uh, fixed it up or anything. So I knew it was the right address. Uh, knocked on the door. The people who answered were very pleasant, confirmed that I had the right people. <laughs> there were no dogs. And... Uh, so service was completed properly, uh -huh. and so, which just leads me to believe, though, that all the other previous people who went out there kept going to the wrong address, and no wonder the guy was upset with them, because they kept trying to serve papers on this guy who had nothing to do with uh -huh. who was supposed to be served. For sure. Um, well, does that happen very frequently? That sounds like a real uh, anomaly, where they, the uh, address would completely change like that. That was, yeah, that was um, probably the first time I've ever seen uh, a case like that. And it didn't help, actually, that 
the house with the dogs was right at an intersection. Uh -huh. So I think the upside down 23 actually referred to the other street that it was on, even though the driveway itself came out onto Elm Street. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So basically, the bottom line that I've always learned about this is never take anything you receive at face value that it can look a certain way, but always double check every single thing you get regardless of the source. Exactly. And do you have a situation too where sometimes um, the address you're looking for is a like a mother-in-law building behind the regular address so the so the the address doesn't show yes and, and, and it doesn't look like it's skipped over anything either it looks like there's it the address just doesn't exist yeah <laughs> you do get that um and that's why it, i find um the Google and the real estate sites are really good because they do show satellite imagery as well. Mm -hmm. So you can zoom in and you can see, okay, here's the address, here's the property line. There is a building still on that property line. Maybe that's the one I need to actually go to. Yeah, right. Right. And do you, uh, do you ever check with the neighbors, Kevin? Oh, yes. In fact, uh, that's one thing uh, The Gary, who's listening as well, um, <laughs> he, he does a lot of that too, like pounding on the doors of the neighbors and saying, you know, I'm looking for so-and-so. And they're very uh, helpful a lot of the times. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and also you can find out whether that person even really lives at that address any longer. They may have moved a year before. Right. Um, well, actually, in one case, uh, one of my first ones, uh, again, it was in a rural area, and uh, the father had um, said, oh, I don't know where my son is, um, you know, but we had a rough idea of where the son was, and I went to a restaurant that was in the area, and the waitress knew him and was able to pinpoint exactly where he was, describe the house down to every detail, including the cars that would be in the uh, driveway. Uh -huh. um, so it's not just neighbors. Sometimes if you're in a smaller area, if you go to uh, fast food places or restaurants, um, they'll be able to point you in the right direction. Right. Yeah. Okay. And it especially helps if you're dealing with somebody who uh, is frequently in trouble with the police. <laughs> then everybody seems to know who they are. And you had another case, um, I remember, um, I think you wanted to change the name, so you're going to use the name of Green, where you had been in contact um, with somebody who was looking for uh, a brother. Right, the a, estranged a, brother. The estranged brother, yeah. Tell us about that. That one actually was probably, I would have to say, was one of my more rewarding ones on a personal level because um, it, it, the sister hadn't seen the brother in almost 40 years. Um, and she had decided that with the family getting older and uh, parents uh, in ill health that she wanted to make sure that the brother knew what was going on. Uh -huh. And... So she uh, contacted us, and uh, at first she only provided the brother's name and date of birth. 
um, which unfortunately didn't yield too much. And with a bit more prodding, she said, well, I think he used to be in Ottawa, uh, which is a few provinces over. And uh, so with that... Um, we were able to locate an old apartment that he used to live at in Ottawa, and I spoke to a few of the uh, tenants of that apartment, and one of them remembered him and said that he was now uh, more than likely in a men's shelter. I see. So he was also able to provide the name of the men's shelter, so I called around. But with the privacy laws here... Um, Nobody wants to confirm or deny sure. that somebody is there. Yeah. So I just gave my information in the hopes that if he was still there, they'd be able to get him in touch with me. Um, and then at the same time, the uh, sister, I guess, had been asking around with family members and came up with the name of a girlfriend that the brother used to be seeing. Mm-hmm. And we'll say it's Wilma Green. Okay. Um, and so the last name was fairly common, but the first name was not all that common. And she spelt it without an E at the end of green. Mm-hmm. So I did a quick check and I came up actually with a Wilma Green of that spelling, uh, but the number was out of service. So um, then I thought, well, okay. Uh, I had already done some other checking because um, I like to see who I'm dealing with as well and make sure that they are looking for him for legitimate reasons. And I had found the father's name, um, but it had been misspelt in the phone book. Uh, His first name was Gerald, but they spelt it Gerald. So it's like, okay, well, the phone book can make mistakes. Maybe Wilma Green might be green spelt differently as well. So I... um, Checked under green with an E at the end, found a few W greens, called a bunch of them, and got a voicemail on one that was Wilma Green, left my information. She called back, confirmed that the brother was still living with her. Great, great. And that same day, brother and sister got together on the phone, and it it was great. You know, but again, if I just went by the strict information that had been given, that wouldn't have happened. Yeah, exactly. We have to close, Kevin. We're out of time. Uh, As I said, it goes really fast. It does. Uh, And uh, thank you for being with us. This This was really great. Tune in again next week as we declassify more real stories from real investigators like Kevin from Nova Scotia. It's PIs Declassified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks so much for listening. You've been listening to P.I.'s Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. 
If you need a detective in California, contact Kelly at kelly-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's Choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Classified. 